Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. All the way to chapter 20, there's this famous account where uh, we'll get to it and do details at some point, but Thomas challenges and says, I won't believe in, in that Jesus is risen from the dead unless I can touch him, unless I can touch him myself. And he gets to, and, and Jesus says to him, you know, blessed are you because you got to do this, but blessed are those also who have not seen and have believed. And then there's this amazing sentence that John the apostle, the writer of this letter says, he says, these things, Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, but these things are written so that you may believe and that by believing you may have life in your name. Thomas got to see and touch the risen Jesus. We don't have that privilege yet. To touch and see Jesus is through the inspired word of God. That is why John wrote down what he did so that we can see something of the glory of Jesus and therefore believe, be persuaded ourselves. Going back to chapter one now, famous prologue in the gospel of John. With their eyes, we get to see in the word, the written word. Okay, and that's what we're doing again this morning. The end of John chapter three is no different for us this morning. And we're gonna see something very particular, uh, some emphases on the glory of Jesus. And when I was preparing this, I thought of this joke. There's this comedian our family likes a lot. His name is Brian Regan. And one of his bits from a long time ago, I wish I was talented enough to like reenact it for you and it'd be funny, but I know how that would go. But the idea of it is relevant. He has this bit, he's talking about, he has this daydream that he kind of wishes were true, where he wishes that he was one of the astronauts that got to walk on the moon. And the reason he wishes that that was true is because when he's in social settings and there's always somebody who likes to, you know, throw out those humble brags or not so humble brags, he just loved the idea that he would always be able to top anything anyone ever said. Right, no matter what your story is and how cool it was and how impressive you are, you could always go, yeah, well, you know, when I, was, when I got to walk on the moon, you know. <laughs> so there would be always the ultimate topper. Well, what we see here is Jesus is the one who actually can top that. No, whatever impressive things we have or anyone has, Jesus always has a, a story, an experience, facts about him to top anything and that's what we get to see today. So we're going to see three things today to get there. Do we have any slides? If not, cool. Three steps to get there. One is we're going to see this mistake that we can make. Um, JTB is shorthand for John the Baptist. And I will, uh, you'll see that a lot in these slides. Otherwise, they, the, the lines get too long. And you have to make smaller font, you know, so... J the B, he doesn't make this mistake, but his disciples do, and so do we. And we're going to talk about that a bit. And it's a very simple flow. You're going to see these people who they want attention themselves, or at least that's a part of what they want, part of what gives them a sense of meaning. But instead, it should be Jesus. And we see immediately this flow after this story into this highlighting of Jesus. Is it John the Baptist continuing to talk? Or is it John the Apostle writing commentary? We're not sure. 
doesn't matter. The point is why the apostle John's writing it is like, don't be deceived. This is why. These are some of these toppers that Jesus has, why he is greater. And then lastly, I'm going to focus on one of them. So it's just a few bullets under there, but one of them I'm going to camp on a little longer. So you make it its own Roman numeral there at the end. So that's what we're doing today. Firstly, the mistake that we make, the mistake that John the, disciple, John the Baptist's disciples make, the misstep, this, this concern that they express that reveals something about their hearts. Let's read it together. That verse 36 <clears throat> says, and they came, John the Baptist's disciples came to John the Baptist and they said to him, Rabbi, self wasn't actually physically baptizing people. It was his disciples. But the point is, hey, we got a group of people, John the Baptist and, and us, his disciples, we're, we were baptizing people. We were looking to prepare people for Messiah. But now there's this other guy and he's got his disciples and he's baptizing. They're baptizing over there. And all these, this, these crowds, these people who were with us, they're now going to him. And we can read in this a very obvious attitude, especially when we see the contrast with John the Baptist, what he has to say, an attitude that I think we can all relate to. Man, we had a great thing going here, guys. We had a big ministry, it was flourishing. God was using us in powerful ways. All these people were coming and they were being helped. You know, we were kind of a big deal. People knew us. But now, you know, the numbers going down. You know, this isn't quite as exciting as it was before. Are, are we still doing something important? Are we still important? I just immediately thought of so many situations in my own life. This is me. I see it all around me. You hear people talk a lot about people's uh, drive for money and power, right? You hear that all the time. People drive for money and power. That's probably true. I can think of examples where I think people do are motivated to try to get in situations so they can control others or they're, they're motivated to, to get more stuff. They like stuff. But I think the far more common drive and the one that is often mistaken for a drive for money and power, it's just a drive to be liked. I just want to be known. I just want people to be impressed by me. I want a good reputation. Corporate settings, our jobs, think of it. We, what do we want? We want to hear, we want to overhear the people talk about us. That, that, oh, whoa, he's on the fast track. She is going places, right? We all want to be promoted. Why? Why do we want to be promoted? So we can have more responsibilities because we're so certain that we can help provide better products and services to help humans? Maybe, some of us. Probably most of us. We want to get promoted because we want to be recognized. All of us. Or at least that's me. That's in corporate settings. What about academic settings? Is it any different? What gets you recognition in academic settings? Being an exceptional undergrad teacher? Publishing. Grants. Publishing gets you speaking invitations, right? And so what do most professors focus on to the neglect of something else? Research. There's more going on there for sure, and I'm sure there are exceptions to what I'm saying. But by and large, what I've seen, I've, I've had academic involvement as well. 
focuses on publishing, research. That is what gets me the microphone and the spotlight. Best professors that we had in undergrad were the lowest paid. One exception I can think of. Most of the ones that we liked the most, who spent, they focus on the undergrads, that, the thankless thing. They were the ones that were least recognized, the least respected, the ones with the smallest platform out there. Academic settings, social settings. Oh my goodness, social settings. Don't we just want to be noticed when we walked in a party? When you're asked, what do you do? I need a good answer to that. How many decisions we make in our lives because we need a good answer to the question, what do you do? I just want people to raise their eyebrows and go, wow. Social media. I mean, it's almost like cliche for me to say anything. Why do we, what every post it's calculated. I want people to see every post. Is it a good post or a bad post? There's only one measure. Response. Did people see? Did they take notice? Did they acknowledge? It's the only feedback we're looking for, most of us. And of course, church settings. Are we doing a good job? Do we have to put out more rows of chairs? Am I, am I the go-to person? Outside of church settings, the billboards we put up, look at me, look, look at how outraged I am. I'm a super ally. See me, see me. I'm important. I do stuff. Athletics, politics, performing arts. I just want to stand out. That's why I see in John the Baptist's disciples, they're going, we just, I just need, we need to increase a little bit. We need to increase. Okay. Now, before I give some texture and qualification that I want to contrast that. So we have, because maybe I wasn't reading this correctly to read all that into it, to read my situation into it. But you see how John the Baptist, the way he immediately responds to this question, saying, why are you worried that people are not coming to follow us? Look at three things he says. He wants people to be impressed by Jesus. How do we see that? Firstly, go to the next one. Yeah, right there. He says, Firstly, he says, look, anything great about me, anything great about what we're doing and accomplishing, that was all given to us. A person can't receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. This is Christianity 101, friends, right? This is all over the Bible. James 1 says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, what do you have that you have not received? And if you've received it, why do you boast about it? Okay, anything that we're doing well, anything that should, like where the eyes start to go on you, you actually are really good at research or you are getting promoted or whatever it is, that deflection to go, it's not about us at all. Anything that we're able to accomplish, any gifts that we have, any opportunities we've been able to take advantage of, those are just grace. That's just grace. It's just given to us from somewhere else. He points back up to heaven. Secondly, John is quick to say, why should I be worried about you coming to me? I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. I've been sent to prepare the way. I'm not the way. I'm not the way. We're not the way. 
See, now help brightens not the way, right? Your work is not the way. We might have helpful things that facilitate and complement, but we are not the end. Jesus is, Jesus is the Messiah. Thirdly, John the Baptist is quick to say, I'm not the groom. The third thing he says, he says, it's the one who has the bride that's the bridegroom. Okay, I, we, have you been to one of these weddings, right? Where the, the best man gets the microphone and it's supposed to be all about, you know, honoring the groom, but it becomes a lot of uh, pointing to self, stealing the spot. See, no, John the Baptist is not that kind of person. He's just a guest. He's just in the wedding party. He is not the groom. He is not the one who has the bride. He takes joy in the attention going to Jesus. So you need to see that, right? So this is never, ever, ever, ever. We need to get all the attention. The attention doesn't go to us. The attention goes to Jesus. We don't get the glory. Jesus needs to get the glory. Therefore, this is wrong. Therefore, we lose Jesus wins. That is never the math. That is not God math. Okay. Let's see what John the Baptist says. In the end of this verse, he says, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears the groom, he rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is, again, Christianity basics, and it is totally antithetical to how people think today. I decrease, I'm thought less of, I get less praise, acclamation, attention, and that completes my joy? No, that's not how we think today, but that is the, the reality behind John the Baptist and us for what we are made for. So, so let's, let's get some qualifications and explanations in here, right? Is, is John the Baptist suggesting we don't set goals? We don't have high ambitions and work hard, go hard after them. Okay, no, no, that is not at all the idea here, right? God has put before you, if you are a Christian, you are obligated to be ambitious. You are obligated to take on responsibility and work hard after it. God calls you to that as much as you can in your various spheres of life, in work, in your home, in this church insofar as you can handle it. But the difference is like, what is, what is success? What does success look like? What does it mean to achieve your goals? Now we're not doing a full sermon on that. That's maybe some other text we could do. But the one that the insight that we get from this is part of your definition of success cannot be, cannot be, I get credit. I increase in how impressive I am to others. That's the mistake. That's the mistake. John the Baptist's disciples may have been doing still a great job. I don't really know. My guess is they were. But if they had smuggled in this idea of, but how, I, obviously we're not. If they're now going over there, if the crowds aren't coming here anymore, we must be messing up. Incorrect. Incorrect. We must see that, no, the goal is to get the attention over there. The goal is to get the acclamation over there to Jesus, and it's for us. So this idea of joy, 
I wish we could jump all over. Lots of these things, we, points we make today, they're all so important to the Bible in general, specifically the book of John. We've already talked through chapter three, this idea of being born again. If you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. For God so loved the world, they gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Seeing the kingdom, eternal life, joy, these are the same things. These are the same ideas being talked about in different ways. Friends, we cannot, you cannot, humans cannot make their source of eternal life, their source of capital J joy, doing well. Doing a good job, getting attention, having a big platform, being influential. That is a error. How, which ways is error? First, guys, people are shaky foundation. What a finicky foundation to place your hope of eternal life on is their opinion of you and them recognizing you. There's more we could say on that, but the main one is, guys, it doesn't satisfy. If, I, if you try to satisfy your sense of being content in life, having a sense of purpose, meaning, why am I here? If you try to satisfy that with people's opinions, at best, that's like saying, I'm, I'm dying of thirst. Here, here are seven billion thermoses. Here are seven billion containers. That is a confusion. What you need is water, water, not vessels that potentially could carry water. Those might be helpful, but it's a huge mistake, huge mistake to make that error. I, the, the number of quotes here, I'll spare you. I'll pick one. It's easy. I bet you've heard it before. Okay. I was, I've been a Christian for a year or two. I'm at my grandmother's house in nowhere, Alabama, Bertha, Alabama. All right. What, what rural Alabama is to urban Alabama, or sorry, rural America is to uh, urban America. That's like where Bertha, Alabama is to rural America. Okay. You haven't heard the places it is a suburb of. But we have the antennas, the bunny ears. You kids know what that is? Bunny ears, right? They have three channels. And I watched, it's like the one of the only times I watched a live 60 minutes. Okay, not just the recording on YouTube. It was live. And it was a, it was a wild night. They had Joel Osteen on there and stuff. I mean, I was floored on all the confusion. Then comes this guy. Oh, Tom Brady is being interviewed on there. This is 2005. So I think he's only three Super Bowls in at this point. Okay, now I know everyone here knows who Tom Brady is. You, I'm surprised there are people who don't know the backstory. And I'm not going to give you the whole thing. It is a Cinderella. It did not offer tons of scholarships. He was not in the first round pick at all in the NFL. And it was an accident that he even ended up playing. Ends up winning three Super Bowls. And he's not just Mr. Oh, I'm amazing. Look at me. The guy's... He's competitive, but he like denies pay raises so he could get like more money for other players. The endorsement deals, he often would say like, I'm not going to take the endorsement deal unless you like the teammates like can be in the deal with me, right? So he's, he's kind of like a, a nice guy too, right? In some sense. Then, uh, by the way, he's, you know, he was dating the Victoria's Secret supermodel at the time. He's doing all right. He is successful in a sense. He certainly has the attention of many of us. 
Here's what he has to say. Why do I, yeah, three, here we go. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? Hey man, I mean, a lot of people would say, hey, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's gotta be more than this. And this isn't, this, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. What else is there for me? And the interviewer asks, what's the answer? Tom, I wish I knew. John the Baptist knows. God made you to find your deepest delight and satisfaction in him. That's what you were made for. It's not an option. It's not an add-on accessory. You could have it. You could not have it, right? You can add delicious meals to your life and maybe it adds a little bit or not. Like you don't have, maybe you can find satisfaction another way. It's not like that. There's not an alternative. He is, how could he have made something greater? He is God. And it's not just that we pursue, we, we pursue him always. That doesn't mean you pursue him alone. He's given us means. You pursue him through things, other people, relationships, endeavors, these, these jobs. God has called us to all kinds of things. But it's like when we, we focus, you know, those pictures that are like, it's a hidden image and, and you can only see the image by uh, like you cross your eyes and you uncross your eyes. I've got like two nods. Is anyone tracking? Because this is going to sound really stupid. <laughs> all, right. all right. It's just a bunch of colors and dots and crap. All right. The only way to see the image clearly is to look beyond it. If you focus on it, you can't see it. And that's what we're doing. We're focused on people. What do people think of me? Am I doing a good job? And we're looking down at it and you can't see it clearly. We've got to look beyond it to Jesus. We look through these things and we get him. He's why you need to succeed in your jobs or love your neighbors or be a good spouse. Or He's the bottom. He's the foundation that holds this up. When we get joy as we get to introduce him to others, there's nothing we enjoy more. Go back and listen to some, our gospel and missions sermons on this. So you say, okay, all right, so I can have goals, but, but should I have good self-esteem? Should I have high self-esteem? I don't know. I don't know the definition of self-esteem is, okay? But there's a very famous uh, quote that says, you know, Jesus doesn't say, you need to think of yourself more. You need to think of yourself less. You need to think of yourself less, less often. Don't think bad of yourself, right? Just don't think of yourself much. Don't look at the picture, look past, beyond. When you stand, we, we got to go to the Canadian Rockies this past summer as a family. And you stand there. It's not that I stand there and go, wow, I'm just worthless. I'm not thinking of myself. I'm just looking. I'm distracted by that which is majestic and bigger. John the Baptist is distracted by Jesus. He's not worried about going, come me, look, look at me. He's, he's not saying, don't look at me. He's just, until, the, until his disciples ask. <laughs> 
And then he has to correct them. Self-forgetfulness. It's one of the best summary words. It's the best extra biblical word I know of. It's not in the Bible. Is that a one word? It's a phrase. That it's not in the Bible. It's the most helpful term I've ever heard that summarizes from Genesis chapter two, naked and unashamed, but yet then becoming ashamed when you realize, turn and see you're naked all the way to the end. Self-forgetfulness. We just forget ourselves. Don't think about it yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Think of Jesus more. And that's exactly what the text is driving us to do. The text drives us immediately now to think about Jesus. And we're going to go fast. We're going to go fast here. How Jesus is greater. Immediately, the text transitions say, don't worry about people coming to you. Worry about people going to Jesus. Why are we putting ourselves or even John the Baptist in the same category as Jesus? He's in a different category. That's what the text is doing. What, how is he in a different category? We have a few. One is his origin. Okay. Oh, how I would love to give you more on this one. But we're just gonna say a few brief comments. There's so much behind this. Sounds not a big deal. The text says, he, Jesus, who comes from above, he's above all. He who's of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He's above all. Don't compare with him. Why is being from above such a big deal? I'll just give you a tiny bit here. If you look up higher in John chapter three in the famous, you must be born again verses, you'll probably have a little superscript there saying, hey, this could have been translated a different way. It could have been said, you need to be born from above. It's the same word. We and John the Baptist, we need to be born from above. Jesus is from above. He's already there. He is that substance, okay? We need heaven to come and transform us. Jesus is heaven. He is heaven. He's the substance. We are rusted over mirrors that need to be like cleansed and, and get some light shine us to reflect. John the Baptist may be already a polished mirror. That's great. And he could be helpful for us. Jesus is the sun. Pun not intended, right? S-U-N. He is the sun. Okay, he is the source of that light. He's, so that's why that word substance is there. He is greater because he is one. That's what the text is driving you to see. We'd have to look at more texts to make that more plain. Secondly, Jesus is from above. So he's a different substance than us. How can we put John the Baptist in that category? Also, he has direct knowledge of intimate, personal knowledge of heaven. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard for he whom God has sent utters the words of God. Guys, the idea here, again, it's more plain when you look at all of John, this idea of us creatures in here, it's like, imagine having woken up in a, in a room that has no doors and we're all looking around like, oh, what are we doing in here? Like, what is this place? And some of us are, you know, engineers and scientists. We go, well, it looks like maybe, maybe something, something made this place. Like, and... Um, you know, and some of us who are philosophers are going like, well, you know, stuff had to come from somewhere probably. And we're all guessing and pontificating of where this came from. And is there anything outside the walls of this place? But we're still all in it with John the Baptist and his disciples. We're in this doing our best until someone from the outside busts down through the walls and can tell us all about it. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Brian Regan wants to have walked on the moon. <laughs> Jesus has walked in the heavens, okay? That's where he's from and what he knows about and what he's experienced. And he breaks in and he can bear witness himself. Look up the word witness in John. It's a huge 
uh, theme. Jesus bears witness to what he has directly experienced, not just heard about. He bears witness to what he has not just discovered, but he's invented, okay? The universe, anything. That is Jesus. Another way, Jesus is greater. All things are in Jesus' hand. The Father loves the Son. He's given all things in his hand. Look up that word in the New Testament. All things, all things, all things were made through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Colossians chapter one. All things are, imagine saying that about John the Baptist or any of us. All things are in your hands, pastor. No, that's wrong category. Only in Jesus' hands. Next, next, next. We're going to skip this one. This is a good one. It's interesting. Skip it. It's a little bit speculative. (laughs) Missing out. This is, this is the idea. We're going to talk more about this in a few weeks because we get to go to the prophecies in Isaiah coming up to Christmas. And I think I get to do Jesus as God. Christianity is a two-circle religion, okay? Every other belief system in the world just about is a one-circle religion. There is only the universe or there is only God, okay? That's it. One-ism. Peter, Peter Jones, I think, theologian who came with that. One-ism or two-ism, okay? Christianity believes there is God and there's everything else. There are two kinds of things. Not, there's not just one kind of thing. Hinduism, atheism, that's one kinds of things. Christianity says there's two kinds of things. And Jesus is in one and we are in the other. Okay, to be, now Jesus bridges that gap. He takes on humanity. So we'll get to talk more about that soon. Jesus is God. That is what this text is saying and what John is saying in the Bible is saying, Jesus is God. We are not. How, John the Baptist disciples, can you be so concerned that they're going to Jesus instead of us? He's the one who's God. We are just messengers. Now, one more way, one more way that Jesus is greater. The last verse. We'll read it one more time. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, for the wrath of God remains on him. I mean, the summary of this whole point and why it fits here in this text is going, who, who, you're gonna say that about John the Baptist? You're gonna say that about us? Whoever believes in me has eternal life. But if you don't believe in me, the wrath of God remains on you, right? Like this really starts to, that gap. If, you, if above all isn't connecting, if he who witnesses to what he has seen and heard isn't connecting on how Jesus is categorically different than the rest of us, I hope this one does. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Unless that be water off a duck's back because you, you know, I've spent a lot of time in America and I've heard these Bible verses. The contrast, the wrath of God remains on him. There are different uh, isms here. Universalism, inclusivism, 
exclusivism. These are beliefs about, again, to put it very crudely, who all goes to heaven and who does not. Universalism is the idea that everyone, no matter what, ends up in heaven. Uh, most, uh, many believe, including angels, fallen angels, including Satan. Inclusivism says, no, maybe not everyone does, but uh, only some people do. However, it's not unique to one like particular religion or not. If you are a good Hindu or good atheist or a good Muslim, you can go to heaven through that. Only the bad Muslims and the bad Christians, they don't go to heaven. And then there's an exclusivism that says, no, there's not all these different options. Um, it, it does come down to, well, Christian exclusivism would be Jesus. Okay? Now, there are Christian versions of universalism and inclusivism, which would say, okay, everyone does end up going to heaven, or not everyone goes to heaven, but a subset do, but doesn't mean you're necessarily a Christian or follower of Jesus. However, if you end up in heaven, it's because of Jesus, right? So that would be a Christian view of these. So you hear the verse like we, uh, we just sang, this glorious verse, um, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus says. And a lot of people just, I don't, that's the most famous of all of these challenging texts. And they'll say, okay, okay, Jesus is the way and all people who end up in heaven, it's because of Jesus, but they don't know that. There's a term, anonymous Christians, you'll hear, which you tell a Muslim that they're anonymous Christian and see how well that goes. Um, verses like this tell us, I mean, again, I hate putting isms on anything. because I don't like these boxes, but the, these, that's the closest one. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Okay, this is not a conservative Christian idea. It's not a Baptist idea, evangelical idea, born again or idea. This is Jesus' idea. No one talked more of this than Jesus. I'll just give you one other verse in John. There's several. John 8, 24, Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Unless these alternatives. Now, these are extremely, it doesn't matter whether you have identified as a Christian for a long time. If you dislike Christianity, these are challenging passages. These are challenging ideas. Okay, and I, so just a couple comments before we, we go. Like we say, well, this isn't, this is just your religion. This is just your idea. There's lots of other beliefs in the world and ideas. That's the whole point of this whole passage is going, Jesus stands apart. You can compare Muhammad to John the Baptist. That's a fair comparison. And we can debate on who's right, but the claims aren't even close to the same. The claims are not the same. Jesus is saying, I am God. I'm not here to tell you about God. I am God telling you about God. Not a prophet of God telling you about God. Okay, the claim is not the same. It's not just our religion. So the, it could be we're, we're, you know, we're right or wrong. But the idea is this, I, I'll come back to that actually. Another problem is people say, well, like this seems so trivial. Belie especially pro you process emphasize faith. If you just believe, it's this idea that if I just ascribe to the right religion, I go to heaven. If you don't ascribe to the right religion, you will not. That is not at all, not at all the idea. It's such a misunderstanding of what faith means, okay? 
Firstly, it's not that you're condemned because someone doesn't believe. It says that the wrath of God remains. It doesn't come on them for the first time. There in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in the world, in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who have not believed, let me get the words right here. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. The idea here is like the gospel and message, this idea of who Jesus is gets put before us. And we say, oh, if you don't accept him, if you don't receive him, now we're in trouble. We were already in trouble because we worship and serve the creation instead of the creator. Very simply, friends. So saying someone doesn't have eternal life because they don't believe in Jesus is correct. But here it's like saying the reason someone died is because they didn't take the antidote. That is correct. But don't confuse it with not taking the antidote is directly what killed you. Someone was sick. They had a disease, they had a problem and that was killing them. Now there was a solution and taking it will save. And so the Bible's idea, Jesus' idea, the Christian idea is we have a problem, we are sick. That's the diagnosis. The prognosis is death. And the cure is the son of God, begotten, living the life we should have, not worshiping creation. He was the true second better Adam who did his job and was perfectly righteous. And he was a substitute for us. He took that wrath. The wrath of God remains on that separation from God of when we choosing God and we don't get God, we won't get God because we're not choosing God. Jesus says, I'll take that separation from God. I'll pay that consequence for you. That's the cure. That's the cure. Jesus plays that role. That's why he's separate. And we say, so if this is a challenging idea, it is so hard. Like the problem is not like we, we want to think unfair. Think more in terms of, is it just, is it right or is it not right? You are welcome to come and say, Brandon, I think you're wrong in the diagnosis. I don't think we're that sinful. Or maybe we are sinful, but maybe the, the, the problem is not death. That's not the consequence. Or maybe you agree with both those. We say the cure isn't Jesus. And, and the, but faith is just the syringe, by the way. Like that's just the medium through which the antidote is delivered. It's free. It's totally free. And you might disagree with one or more of those. Okay, and we can talk about it and we can look at the God's word together and we can hear what you have to say as well. But the problem is not just trying to say, we're right, everyone else is wrong. We're better, they're dumb, we're smart, they're not. Like, it's not that at all. It's going, we've seen that this is the cure. We want everyone to have it. I, I will not help you if I say, you know, you don't have to take that medicine, you're right. Just uh, take, eat some orange slices. That, that'll be good enough. We're going, no, that's not the cure. You need the antidote. But it's free, friends. And if, uh, be thankful, we should all be thankful that there is a way at all. Um, God so loved us that he gave a way and it is a good way. It's free. It is free. Some of the, con- the challenges are it's too good to be true is one of the challenges, friends. Is that the problem? Let's talk about it together. Here's where I want to end. 
The whole idea here is, is this, this, this error in putting the attention on us or being, being interested in people liking us and saying, you don't need that. You don't have that. God loves you. God died for you. You don't need to seek that. God sees you. Let's seek his glory. Let's seek his fame and acclaim and worship. And then he gets his eyes off of us by putting on Jesus, talking about these ways in which Jesus is different from us. Here's this quote I want to end with from Malcolm Muggeridge. Uh, I think he was a journalist. He was British. Uh, this, he was writing in 1980. So you hear some context here, but I think this is a good place to end. I'm going to read this and pray of just eyes off of self on the wonder and the uniqueness of Jesus. All right. We look upon, back upon history and what do we see? Empires rising and falling, revolutions and counter-revolutions, wealth accumulating and then dispersed. One nation dominant and then another. Shakespeare speaks of the rise and fall of great ones that ebb and flow with the moon. In one lifetime, I have seen my own countrymen ruling over a quarter of the world, the great majority of them convinced in the words of what is still a favorite song, that God who's made them mighty would make them mightier yet. I've heard a crazed, cracked Austrian proclaim to the world the establishment of German Reich that would last for a thousand years. An Italian clown announced that he would restart the calendar to begin with his own assumption of power. A murderous, claimed by the intellectual elite of the Western world as a wiser than Solomon, more enlightened than Asaka, and more humane than Marcus Aurelius. I've seen America, America wealthier and in terms of military weaponry more powerful than all the rest of the world put together so that Americans, had they so wished, could have outdone an Alexander or a Julius Caesar in the range and scale of their conquests. All in one lifetime, all gone with the wind. England, now part of an island off the coast of Europe and threatened with dismemberment and even bankruptcy. Hitler and Mussolini dead and remembered only in infamy. Stalin, a forbidden name in the regime he helped to found and dominate for some three decades. America, haunted by fears and running out of the precious fluids that keep the motorways roaring and the smog settling, with troubled memories of a disastrous campaign in Vietnam and of great victories of the Don Quixotes and the media when they charged the windmills of Watergate. All in one lifetime, all in one lifetime, all gone, gone with the wind. Behind the debris of these solemn supermen and self-styled imperial diplomatists, there stands the gigantic figure of one because of whom, by whom, in whom, and through whom alone, mankind may still have peace. The person of Jesus Christ, I present him as the way, the truth, and the life. Pray with me.